Bee, you did Nutsy Squirrel, which was a DC yes, we character. did Nutsy Squirrel. That's right. Right. Yeah, um, I got to see these, Dana. Can I come over? I'll, I'll go through your house and look for it. I don't. You don't need to do it. I'll come over. This is like my life's goal now is to find these episodes of video comics. Well, you, if you give me a year, I, w- I will have gone through every box, and I may actually find them. All right. Uh, I'm going to hold you to that. This episode's going to go up on January 20th, 2019. So you have until January 20th, 2020, Dana. That's, that's, that's the th- you, 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 you gave yourself a deadline, so I'm going to hold you to it. Then Nickelodeon brings you video comics. Characters come to life in a format that encourages children to read along. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of FW Presents, the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and this is the long-awaited Video Comics 2 show, where we follow up from the show we did last year, Video Comics, where I talked to the producer of that great show, Dana Cattison, and we're here to talk about some episodes that we have of Video Comics. We actually have some Video Comics shows to talk about. This is all very exciting, and joining me... Uh, for this episode, are members of the network Shag? Hi, Shag. Give it to the buzzer button, Jimmy. That's deeply upsetting. Hello, Ryan. You too. I'm not following that. That's probably a good idea. And it was Chris- sugar and spike. <laughs> and Chris and Chris Franklin. Hi, Chris. I have nothing to add other than hello. <laughs> okay, that's. I, I think that's probably a smart move. So again, guys, thank you so much for for joining me here on this episode of uh, FW Presents Video Comics Two. As you heard in the intro. Uh, a year ago, the show I did with producer, video comics producer Dana Cattison, uh, I talked to Dana, and Dana said that she, I needed to give her a year to get me some episodes of video comics. And true to her word, Dana did provide me with some episodes of the show. And uh, we will tell you in a moment where you can find these episodes, and we're going to talk about them. We're going to cover the feedback for the previous video comic show as well as some other stuff. But this is just so exciting because after years of not think, wondering whether the show really existed, it was, it was great to talk to Dana and be able to you know tell her directly how much the show meant to me. And so it's super cool that uh, I've been following up with her over the course of the year and having these episodes to talk about. It's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, but we need to uh, thank our sponsors first. So why don't we start with that, Shag? Sure thing. Well, folks, this episode of FW Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, with so many of us on the call here, we are only going to spotlight a couple of different books. Rob, you want to tell us what you brought? Uh, yes, based on one of the episodes that we're going to talk about, I have Hawkman Volume 1 Awakening, which is a uh, collecting the most recent, actually, I think still currently going, Hawkman series by Robert Venditti and Brian Hitch. Uh, it's spinning out of the events of Dark Knight's Metal, uh, an explorer of the ancient and unknown. Hawkman finds himself embroiled in a long-standing mission to discover the true purpose of his many reincarnations. Carter Hall will race around the globe trying to piece together an ancient prophecy Will he be able to face down his own past past lives lurking around every corner? This collects Hawkman numbers 1 through 8. Page count is 160. Normal price is $16.99. In-stock trades price is $9.85. You save 42% off. I have actually read these comics. Uh, I think they were gifted to me by um, friend of the network, Scott X. And uh, they are really fun. I really – I love Hawkman. I've always been a big fan of Hawkman. I've always been sort of frustrated why it seems like Hawkman is so kind of tough to do in some cases. But I really enjoyed this series. So this is a cool collection. So it's Hawkman Volume 1, The Awakening. One of the things, I, I've been reading it also, I've, I'm only about halfway through it, but one of the things I really enjoy is they take all the different incarnations of Hawkman and they don't shy away from it. And they just try and make it all work in, in, a, in a logical way that's enjoying to read. And um, it's fun. I've been enjoying it. All right. Ryan, I think you brought uh, an, a book to talk about. Yeah, and what else would I bring but Swamp Thing, the <laughs> Bronze Age Omnibus, trade paperback, volume one. Swamp Thing's early adventures are collected in paperback with the Swamp Thing, the Bronze Age, volume one. Deep in the bayou of Louisiana, far from civilization's grasp, a shadowed creature seen only in fleeting glimpses roils the black waters. A twisted, vegetative mockery of a man, a Swamp Thing. These are the tales that introduced Alec and Linda Holland, and Arcane, Abigail Cable, The Patchwork Man, The Unmen, and also an appearance by Batman. Uh, this book collects the House of Secrets issue 92, that's the first appearance of a version of Swamp Thing, along with Swamp Thing issues 1 through 13. 
the original price is $24.99. The in-stock trades price is $14.49. That is a savings of 42%. And for these, you get some of my all-time favorite books. Uh, the first 10 issues of Swamp Thing are written by Len Wein with art by Bernie Wrightson. For issues 11 through 13, Nesta Redondo takes over, and they look almost as good. Um, these are just really fun books. I've been starting to cover some of them on Midnight the Podcasting Hour, hoping to get through this entire run uh, within the next year or so. So I, I couldn't recommend this higher. Awesome. Well, for examples like that, folks, please head over to InStockTrades.com where you can find all the different collected editions out there. And uh, please tell them the Fire and Water Podcast Network sent you. Also, we got to mention that this episode is also sponsored in part by your Patreon support, folks. Running the Fire and Water Podcast Network with so many shows really runs up the tab. And with the hosting and the other online services and things like that, it, it gets pretty expensive. And for the last few years, us hosts have sort of absorbed these costs, but they've grown considerably. And so we've launched a Patreon asking for your help, and you guys really stepped up to the plate. And uh, so if you'd like to consider supporting a show like this, you can go out to our website, which is patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and consider supporting the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And at certain levels and tiers, you can mentioned on your favorite fire and water shows just like these folks our thanks to david gutierrez and gord tolton so again folks visit our patreon at patreon.com slash fw podcast so rom what exactly are video comics so our right, video comics for those of you that didn't listen to the first episode from last year was a show that aired on nickelodeon in the very early 1980s back when cable was just starting out nickelodeon was one of the first you know, cable channels that have basically appeared in everybody's home. And it was a show where uh, the producers and the directors and actors took various DC comics from the 60s and 70s, pretty much just those decades, not, not the 80s, and put a camera on the panels and had actors narrating the, the, the action. They had different actors playing it, playing these characters, and they would, they literally, the camera would just go from panel to panel to panel, and they would do an entire story, and they both a video and audio dramatization. And I loved this show as a kid. I just, I discovered it when we first moved to New Jersey, and I just watched it till my eyes popped out of my head because they were covering all these obscure characters, they were showing me stuff from the DC Comics that I had never known about. Uh, this is where I learned about Ultra, the multi-alien, stuff like that. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just amazing. And then after the show went off the air and I grew older, I forgot all about it. And I, I completely just forgot that it existed entirely. And then for many, many years, uh, I was convinced that I had made it up. That I, because I could find no memory. There could find no evidence of this at all. I went on the internet. There was nothing of this show, no evidence that this show ever existed. And I thought, maybe I made it up. And then I happened to mention it on a Fire and Water podcast one day. And that started the ball rolling because people got back to me and said, I remember that show. And somebody said, hey, there's an IMDb listing for it. There is. So I went to that. And so, oh, there it is. It does, it does exist. It was a show. So over time, uh, I managed to reach out to one of the producers of the, the producer of the show, Dana Cattison, and thanks to our pal Chuck Coletta who helped put that together. I reached out to of Dana. You did. Yeah, right, because Chuck knows everybody. I reached out to Dana, and she was very generous with her time, and actually sat down with me, and we spoke for like a whole hour talking about the history of video comics, the history of Nickelodeon, this sort of sort of. Uh, effort that was that was built in to kind of like bring educational programming to kids and it was one of the greatest experiences i've ever had it was so rewarding to be able to talk to this person about this show that i love so much that i thought history had completely forgotten about so that is what video comics was now all right shag what do you remember of this show if you have any memories of the show at all absolutely none whatsoever and i watched a heck of a lot of nickelodeon because i had a thing for moose on you can't do that on television and <laughs> I, I was not going to miss an episode but i know i don't remember this thing at all i remember i you know i deny you the nightis i remember trolls and green gogs and all all that stuff whatever nothing on the show at all and i was one of the people that thought you were making it up but I have to give you credit, and th this is what pains me. I actually physically hurts to say these words. Like my mouth is burning as I say it. That video comics episode you did with the with the producer was an astonishing piece of audio uh, history because it wasn't just about video comics. If it was just that, it'd been fine. But it was a deep dive into sort of the birth of cable television and you know uh, the, the all access kind of air networks and public access networks, and it was. 
completely fascinating. And, dude, I just it blew me away. I've actually recommended that episode to people who don't know anything about video comics simply because of the history lesson on cable television. Yeah, Dana remembered a lot of stuff, so it was it was really a great interview. And I said I'm very very lucky that I've continued to be in contact with her uh, over time. And we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Now, I know Ryan, you're you were way too young. This you have zero connection to this show at all, right? I have literally never heard of video comics until you asked me to be on this show. Okay, <laughs> okay. fair so, enough. So this if, morning, if you if you've mentioned this on previous episodes of the Firewater Podcast, or if you've done a whole special on this. I don't think so. I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't exist either. <laughs> no, no, it does not. So, I mean, uh, Chris, now you never saw the show either because you're a couple years younger than me. So th- you would have been just a little too young at that point. Yeah, we didn't get uh, cable in this area till 84 and we got it as soon as it came. And, and I had Nickelodeon and I watched You Can't Do That on Television with Moose <laughs> and Slime and and uh, things like that. But, yeah, I, I didn't know this existed uh, I don't think I knew it existed until you brought it up uh, in a conversation at some point. And the funny thing is, is I did like uh, there there were some things like this in 1984 around that time because uh, the first VHS tape I ever bought was a Masters of the Universe VHS tape that took the golden storybooks, the He-Man storybooks. Then a lot of them had art by Eduardo Beretta. And and they uh, scanned them and and narrated them like video comics. What? So this idea, this idea, kind of yeah. I, I thought I was getting an episode of the filmation series, and I got that. But you know, <laughs> but but I wasn't actually disappointed because I thought it was cool. And there's the superpowers. There's superpowers um, videos based on the kids' stuff, book and record sets that are like that. Uh, which I've got one of those. So this idea continued. But as far as video comics itself. It wasn't on Nickelodeon by the time I got it, which sucks because I would have loved this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It's almost like a step back from the Marvel 60s cartoons where they would take you know original Jack Kirby art and cut it out and slide it across the screen and stuff like that. Yeah. Where this is almost mm-hmm. like a step back where they show the original art, but you see the word balloons too. But, it, I mean, it served a different purpose. But it's, uh, it's, there's a comparison to be made there, though. So these things are super lo-fi, and, and one of the things I loved about this show is that they didn't do stories featuring the big names, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. That was actually a directive from Jeanette Kahn. She recognized that they wanted to push DC Comics as a brand, not so much just Superman or Batman. So they, she actually directed the people that, that did video comics to concentrate on the lesser characters. And, you know, boy, howdy, did that. <laughs> I mean, you know, they just didn't do Flash and Green Lantern. They did Ultra, the multi-alien, plus some other characters that we're going to talk about. I mean, they even did, they did some characters that even I have never heard of, uh, which was, and talking about now. Uh, in terms of some of the funny animal characters, so I mean that's that's how deep they went into this into this bench, and it, that's it was really one of my introductory history lessons of the DC universe, and that's one of the reasons I love this show so much is that it introduced me to concepts I was completely unfamiliar with. Plus, it was comic books; it was DC classic DC comics on my television screen, which was just so incredibly exciting. I uh, you know on the show, Dana asked me for a year. She said, "Give me a year." And I will dig through my files, and I will try and find some of these episodes. And I said, I'm going to hold her to that. And I did. <laughs> every, every so often, I would email her. I think around the six-month mark, I emailed her, and I said, you've got six months, Dana. And she was like, I got it. I'm on it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> great, right, right. And then at three months, uh, I bugged her again. And then about a, with about a month to spare, she wrote me and said, I've got you. I've got a disc for you. I said, oh, hallelujah. So she sent me the disc, and it provided us with three episodes of the show, which is what we're about to talk about. So, uh, and and you know, I went and go got the I got the thing duplicated, and it was just so it was just so rewarding to have this thing show up in my mailbox because again, I just never thought these things existed. So the three shows we're going to talk about is we have an episode featuring Hawkman, an episode featuring Swamp Thing. And an episode featuring Sugar and Spike plus a bunch of the other uh, kind of funny animal characters that DC Comics did. So let's start with Hawkman. Do you want to start with Hawkman, everybody? Sure. sure. I, I have a question because okay. the episode yeah. – like I've seen the video comics commercial with the kids riding their bikes. and they go Right, with the, the Ride of the Valkyries playing. Right, yeah. and you see Firestorm. You know, was that the opening credits for video comics or, or, was, or was there no – 
reoccurring opening for video comics. No, there was. I believe the the episodes that we have, and again, we're going to get to it in a moment where you all can see these, uh, are – these are segments. These are clearly segments. These are not like full, complete episodes. Uh, these – I don't think any as, – as Dana mentioned on the show, nobody really thought these things – these things were not built to last. Mm-hmm. No, nobody thought these things were ever going to be – you know, fretted about by some nerd 30 years (laughs) later. Uh, So no one really bothered to keep them. And she said that she thinks other people might have some, and I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to keep bothering her. She has no idea what she signed up for, Uh, (laughs) but I'm going to, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep bugging her with these things. But yeah, basically the stuff that we have are segments. They're not really full episodes with it. Cause again, that, that intro was so great of where you see these little kids riding their bike down the street and they go to a newsstand and they go to a spinner rack. And as Shag mentioned, you see firestorm there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was really cool. And then they pick comics off the rack and then they read them. And then it was all these different segments. But so what we have are just segments. Now, Shag, why don't you tell people where they can see these segments of video comics? Well, folks, the good news is Rob just bought a brand new comfy couch. So you're all invited to his <laughs> new apartment. Where you, oh, oh, is there another place? Yes. Yes, there is. Uh, the Fire and Water Podcast Network has launched a YouTube channel, believe Woo! it or not. So simply just go to YouTube and type in Fire and Water Podcast Network. You will find our channel. We've got a number of subscribers that found it already. And out there currently are three video comic segments. Now, Rob has already uploaded four different videos of himself naked, which we had to take down due to YouTube rules and guidance and things like that. But uh, you can go out there. Plus my appearance on the Joe Rogan show. Right. Well, yeah, that goes, that goes without saying. But so, yeah, check it out Fire and Water Podcast Network on YouTube. We are taking over all the social medias. I think Chris has lined up a Tinder uh, uh, profile for us up next, right? That's right. I also want to add that the comments on the YouTube page are only slightly less hateful than what you would hear on Rob's new couch. So. <laughs> it's funny that you mention uh, my couch because uh, the other day I was rewatching these episodes in anticipation of this recording. And while I was sitting there, I thought, you know what, let me text Dana and just tell her that I'm rewatching these shows. And so I did that. And then she answered me immediately and I even said to her, hey, I'm watching them right now. And I took a little screenshot of the Swamp Thing episode on my television as I was talking to her. And I sent it to her, and she got a laugh out of that. And I, I have to say, I had a deep, deep geek thrill that I was sitting there in my home in my brand-new couch watching video comics while I was texting the producer of video comics. That is not something – well, first of all, you had told me I would have been texting somebody at 10. I would have said, what does that mean? But I mean, on the side of that, it just the idea that I would be communicating with someone who made this awesome show is just too much for my geek brain to handle. So that was exciting. But speaking of the YouTube page, I don't know for anyone who, who is on YouTube or is on YouTube, doesn't have what works. We don't have yet a custom YouTube handle for the page. And the way you get that is you have to be on YouTube for over 30 days, which we are about at, but you must also have... 100 subscribers and we don't have 100 subscribers yet because we really haven't told anybody the youtube page so if you could you're listening to this please go to youtube and go plug in the fire and water podcast network we'll have a link in the show notes of the youtube page and hit subscribe so we can get over 100 subscribers and we can change our custom earl to like fire and water podcast network which will make it a lot easier to find we would all really appreciate that everybody now if you could subscribe once for each twitter handle you have rob we'd be done that would be great. I should do that, yes. Um, so anyway, the segments we're going to talk about, like I said, there's Hawkman, Sugar and Spike, and Swamp Thing. So the first one we're going to talk about is Hawkman, uh, which is, weirdly enough, it's a segment uh, based on a story from an issue of Detective Comics, because everybody knows Hawkman was a detective. Hmm? Right. Uh, it's from <laughs> Detective Comics number 428, The Invisible Thief of Bleak Hill Manor by E. Nelson Burwell, Dick Dillon, and Joe Giella. So, uh, Chris, let me ask you, like, what did you think of this uh, as a story? Uh, Because it's basically just Hawkman solving a mystery. It's them rewriting Hawkman as a detective, which he never really was. What do you think of it as a story, and what did you think of it as an episode of of this show? Oh, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I thought, you know, it's E. Nelson Bridwell cramming as much information in a story as possible, because that's what E. Nelson Bridwell does. Uh, I learned more about ancient weapons in this one video comic segment than I did all through my education. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, it was, in fact, very educational. Uh, 
I, I thought it was kind of interesting that they say reintroducing Hawkman. You know, it's like, uh, well, who are you reintroducing to? Yeah. I mean, yeah, was he they, gone anywhere? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like. And they don't even show – this one doesn't show the word balloons uh, quite as much as some of the other ones. It's like I've, I've noticed that there's a little – they handle each uh, story a little bit differently. It's like mm-hmm. you know, some of the word balloons are on the screen and some are not. So it's they could have very easily skipped the reintroducing part. But uh, – and there's also at the end of, you know, uh, you know next issue blur basically, uh, <laughs> which, I, which I thought it was kind of – kind of uh, that was kind of odd. But uh, – yeah, you know, I think you know Hawkman is a uh, he's the pinion policeman, right? They say I love that. I love, I love that handle. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Aerial Avenger, you know, Winged Wonder works a little bit better, I think. But uh, uh, yeah, so you know, it makes sense that he would you know be a detective, and they kept like trying to put Hawkman in detective, and I think that's partially because Julius Schwartz was the editor and. And, you know, that was one of his characters that that he edited in the Golden Age and then, of course, revived in the Silver Age. So he probably had a fond uh, place in his heart for for Kadar Hall. So he was always trying to find a a home for him. Uh, But, yeah, you know, it's a fun little uh, done in done in one short uh, story. And it's a nice little showcase for Hawkman. I wish Hawk Girl was in it. That was my one complaint because I always you know, we always need more Hawk Girl. Uh, but, uh, but other than that. that, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's Dick Dillon. He, you know, he's a stable of our, of our comic buying youth. And, and of course he knew how to draw Hawkman from drawing justice league forever. So, uh, yeah, I liked it. Shag Ryan. What did you guys think? Ryan, you go first. No. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> it's fine. Cause I prefer to hear the sound of my own voice. A couple different things. Uh, the story itself was fine. You know, it was, it was, it was a very typical sort of 60 and maybe it was 70, I don't know, adventure, uh, you know, uh, like you said, detective sort of story. But from the actual video comic stuff, that's where my focus was on, was sort of the production values of the video comics. I found it really interesting the way they do this with the, the zoom in. They would zoom in and out of panels. They would have mm-hmm. the, the border around it. One of the things I noticed, too, was uh, sometimes they actually would stretch a panel out, either up and down or left to yep. right, yep. to make yep. it fit the way they wanted to for the format, which I thought was very clever. One of the things I really liked in this one, and Chris hinted at it, about sometimes there were word balloons, sometimes there weren't, particularly in this one, sometimes the word balloon would appear on the screen halfway through a panel, and then it would vanish again. So obviously they had cut the word balloon out, they'd show it, and then they'd take it away. And I love that effect, where word balloons, like where you see a static piece and the word balloons come and go to give you further conversation. It reminds me a lot of Marvel did some digital comics uh, a few years ago. Uh, for example, they did a book called X-Men 92, which took place back in 1992, that, you know, the, the classic X-Men of the Jim Lee era. And they would tell stories in the digital format where it'd like be a static piece of art, but the story would continue by just word balloons fading in and fading out and things like that. And it was very similar here. I thought that was a really neat effect. It's also interesting. I found myself reading, as, you know, which I guess is part of what this is. They want to get the kids to read along as they go. And I found a spelling error. <laughs> they misspelled the word thief. Uh, yeah, yeah, they, right. E-I, yeah. Right. So I'm like screaming out, like, where's the editor? No! And uh, like you, I was surprised to see uh, Birdwell, uh, sorry, Bridwell and Dylan uh, rather than a Q-Bird story. But I'm kind of glad they did. It was it was nice to – because every time I see these old classic Hawkman stories, all I ever see is Q-Bird. So it was nice to see something other than that. So I enjoyed that. So overall, it was, it was fun. And I am curious. The, the opening segment features a guy at an art table doing sort of a – he's clearly doing comic book pages. But he's doing it with like say watercolor markers of sorts. And it looks like uh, like a dinosaur piece. So it's got my brain firing. You know, what is this guy working on? I, I'm dying to know. Did you, did you recognize any of that? No, I wish I had I, – I saw that before. I wish I had asked Dana about that, about who that was. I mean I think that was something they – they probably shot in Ohio, which is where they made the show. But yeah, I don't know who that was. I I always figured the reason they did this story is because it's so short. Mm-hmm. It's only like eight or nine pages. It's from 1972, by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, it's it's they probably couldn't do a Kubert one because that would have been a full book, and maybe they didn't want to do that. I did find it funny that they made uh, they they had to give voice to the owl. So the owl actually had to talk. We're like, whoo, whoo, okay, Hawkman, okay. I like that kind of thing. I like the guy that plays Hawkman. He has like a deep, sonorous voice. He sounds like what I would imagine Hawkman sounds like. Well, that's because we're yeah. all influenced by the Super Friends. He had a super deep voice on Super Friends. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Ryan, what did you think of it? Um, first of all, it's it's detective stories like this that grant that warranted uh, Hawkman's appearance in Detective Comics 500 over somebody like Martian Manhunter. Mm. Um <laughs> Uh, 
I, I, I really liked this. Uh, I had fun watching it. Hawkman has always been one of my favorite DC heroes, um, even when his publication history might not have merited that. And it's just because when I was growing up, even before I got the comics, I had three superpowers toys. I had Hawkman, Wonder Woman, and Robin. Uh, so it was just like he was one of the first characters that I knew about. But even like before I was reading comics or, or really knew where to find them regularly, like if I had been able to see this on television – I would have like taped this onto like a blank VHS and just watched it over and over and over again because <laughs> uh, this would have been like right up my alley back then and, and just like seeing him crash through a window and actually hear the sound effect mm-hmm. that they add into um, and like fight a guy like waving a halibut at him and just the way he just like lifts him up over his head. I was like, yeah, this is really cool. He, he looks great. I like it and it's for a short symbol. The one thing about the story was I was catching it at the beginning. A cop is basically walking Hawkman through a museum, explaining all of the heists and all of the missing things. And I'm like, Hawkman's secret identity is a museum curator. He should know all of this information <laughs> or can get it much easier than just having the cop explain it to him. But I, I like it. If I had seen this as a kid, I would have flipped out. And you gotta, you got to give total props to the Hawkman whistling for the bird calls, which was pretty sweet. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And Chris mentioned about how the – or the the panels would come in and out. There is one moment where they take a large panel and they move the camera straight down, but they keep the word balloon uh, in place, which I thought was a nice little touch where it's like you literally see the motion of the people and then, you know, but the balloon stays in place so kids can still read it, which I thought was really sharp. It's a, it's a nice, nice little segment. Yeah. I, I thought it, I thought another little cool thing was he actually makes a reference to green arrow. So um, that's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was Green Arrow ever on video comics that you remember, Rob? I don't. I don't know. I, I we. I wish we had. Much like the Power Records, there is such spotty, you know, records of these things. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know whether they ever did Green Arrow or not. So I would. I so someday I will find out. Do you have like an approximate idea of how many they did? Uh, they they the show ran. I think I think Dana told me two years. Uh, and they did some multiple segments. So, I mean, if you multiply that, I think they probably did, I would say ballpark figure, probably around 50 episodes or something like that. So, I mean, you know, I mean, probably if you, if you think about if they had multiple segments, it was probably a lot of stuff. So, I mean, they did, again, they got, they went into the bench uh, for some of these characters. So I would imagine maybe they got screen arrow. We'll have to find all this out. So, uh, but yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun segment. And as we said, you can watch all these over on our YouTube page. So, uh, the other one we want to talk about, the second one, is Swamp Thing, uh, which is just – sing. It is th- this is basically just Swamp Thing number one. It's the Swamp Thing origin story, the modern version, not the one from House of Secrets 92, but it's from Swamp Thing number one. And, I mean, th- this this is not the only Swamp Thing story they did. I know for a fact they did the one with the patchwork man because mm. I remember – yes, I remember seeing that one and being like, this is terrifying, this thing. <laughs> uh, but, uh, That's but one of my notes Ryan, too. This is really gruesome for a kid's show. It is. It is. <laughs> it's uh, a power territory here. You it, know? Really, <laughs> it really, really is. I mean, Ryan, as our Swamp Thing expert of the network, what did you think of this as an audio-visual presentation? Loved it. I loved the the moody kind of music or, or yeah, just the atmosphere at the beginning. Loved the narrator's voice and the way he inflected everything. Just like the the subtle little sound effects and tweaks and everything. Just the way the camera panned over certain panels and everything to just give it that that feel. I mean, this is one of my favorite single issue stories of all time. Um, I, I just I love this as an origin. I think this is terrific um, in any medium. Uh, so to see it done this way. Uh, Shaggy's right. The, the only thing was like, just, I, I couldn't subconsciously, I just kept waiting for it to break into swamp thing. <laughs> you are amazing. <laughs> um, no, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I love the sound. I loved the. It, it put me right in the mood. Like I, I was watching this, uh, of course, on my phone rather than projecting it on my TV, like I should have been doing. Um, but as soon as I started watching this, I turned off all the lights and watched it in the dark. Oh, uh, <laughs> perfect. It was just, yeah, yeah. I, I dig this so much. Yeah. I, I got a question for Ryan, and this is strictly the comic book question, not the video comic mm-hmm. necessarily presentation. But uh, Linda. Uh, his wife, the red-haired yep. or orange-haired, however you want to say, uh, wife in this, she looks a lot like the girl on the front of the House of Secrets issue, which was based on Wheezy Simonson. Um, right. Is this one also based on Wheezy? Or is it just coincidence? Or I think it might have just been coincidence or, or just that's the way um, 
may, I mean, maybe because Bernie Wrightson was drawing them both. I mean, mm-hmm. he was drawing them at, at different times, and and it's kind of the same type of character, which is it's it's the blonde love of the Swamp Thing, who he was in his human life. So he might have just been doing another version of that same type. Um, so it, it could be like just a reinterpretation, but still based on Louise, yeah, Louise Simonson. I, I guess I guess Jones back then, but yeah, right, right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've always thought there was a little bit of difference from the way he draws her in this one than in, in House of Secrets '92. Oh, okay, um, but it's kind of the same character type. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah I, I really thought that this one. I felt like this one. Maybe it's because of the material being a little more adult. It it felt it felt like they put a little more into the production value uh, mm-hmm. of this one from the from the three that we've seen. And not that they're all they're all fun, but I mean they did go. They I mean they actually I mean you know the fact that they showed all the clips in the uh, from the story and the, like the it was almost like the you know preview of the episode like you used to get like on. The, inc- the Incredible Hulk, like what's going to happen this week? Yeah. You know, you almost hmm. yeah. So I thought I thought that was really cool, and and definitely the music and it and it was weird. There was something weird going on because I was watching it. I, I think I don't think they animated this at all, but I, it, the, his uh, yellow pupil against the red of his eye looked like his pupils were moving. But I think that was just a visual trick. <laughs> I don't I don't think it was animated. I think that was just me. It was just one of those weird color things where it looks like it's, his eye was kind of floating against that red background of his eye so it was it was kind of strange they, they kind of animated the lightning to some extent yeah they would change the colors did. when the lightning would hit mm-hmm. yeah they I, did. I love near the end of the story where swamp thing is attacking the those two those two henchmen and he kills one of them and when he does that the screen just goes to a black panel yes yeah. which i thought was such a nice touch cuz then then cuz then they cut the swamp thing and he's holding the guy and then the narrator's talking about how the life has ebbed out of this man i thought wow that was i mean they're he's killing a guy out of this kid show um the the one other thing though kind of on the flip side of that is one of the other henchmen the voice they give that guy he he swamp thing pulls the guy out of the car the voice that they give that guy he sounds like droopy dog <laughs> and it, yeah. he was just like Swamp Thing, don't kill him. Like, what? Your, your floor, sure. Like, it was just like, <laughs> what? This is like a really strange choice. But I mean, like I said, I remember vividly them doing Patchwork Man. I really. So this was not the only Swamp Thing they did. So I, I mean, this is just incredible that they would do something so geared for adults. Now I'm sure. I'm sure that the, with the movie coming out, they figured, oh, this character has a little more cachet, so why not do it? But for a kid show. These are pretty dark stories to do. And as Chris said, this is veering into Power Records territory, that they would cover <laughs> stories with murder like this uh, on, on a show on Nickelodeon. For <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's the swamp, man. It's the whole man thing, swamp thing. There you, you go. Know, suicidal you clowns go. and guys running in the swamp on fire. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really cool. Well, you know, the patchwork, I was just going to say the Patchwork Man story is from Swamp Thing 3. So I wonder if they did issue two as well, because they all kind of flow into each other. Well, the, the one thing for me that uh, I didn't find necessarily disappointing, but one thing that I think I would have really enjoyed would have been, uh, and I'm not even just phrasing it, what I'm trying to say is I've seen so many incarnations of Swamp Thing now, I have been spoiled by a certain aspect of Swamp Thing that wasn't present here, which is the deep gravelly voice of Swamp Thing. He always sounds like he's trying to struggle to get the words out in the cartoons and the movies and things like that. And so here, he doesn't have that because this is the first time probably he was ever presented in a visual format and so or, or an audio format. So I, I guess I'm, that did strike me a little bit weird just because I'm so used to the other version of it. And, and the other thing I want to say too is Orson Welles uh, or, or the, the narrator trying to do his best Orson Welles I thought was great. I mean, he's really <laughs> trying to channel Welles big time in this thing. Yeah, I, I kind of miss the the Swamp Thing voice. And I mean, the crusty yellow balloons kind of indicate that his voice should sound uh, sound strange, you know, anyway. So yeah, that, that, that did, I, it was obviously, it was the same, um, it was the, uh, same voice as Alec Holland. Right. It made sense, the continuity there, but yeah, I, I kind of missed the, although, you know, on the TV series, he just wouldn't shut up. He just kept <laughs> talking, you know, Arcane, I told you not to do this last week. I told you not to do it. Don't do it anymore. You know, just, <laughs> they were just neighbors that yelled at each other, you know, basically. <laughs> So I've got one more thing to say about this one thing. It's something that it didn't even occur to me until after I finished watching it and I was just kind of scrolling back through it. 
This thing is freaking gorgeous to look at, specifically the colors. I mean, yeah. obviously the Bernie Wrightson art is great. But this colors, I, I don't get it, man. The whites are bright white. The oranges are a solid orange. The, li- the, the, like, the lime greens are bright. There's no newsprint sort of appearance whatsoever. This looks like a digital recoloring. Like, if, you didn't, if I didn't know any better, I would say this looks like the comicsology version of this comic. But back in the late 70s, you know, early 80s, they, they didn't have that. So where did they shoot this from that had such clean copies of the art? I don't get it. Well, they probably shot the black and white stats, which is DCO has of, of all their comics. Now, that that would have meant that they somebody went in and recolored them all. I mean, that seems like a lot of work. But for a lo-fi production, that seems like a ridiculous amount of work. Especially considering how, well, how good the coloring looks. It does, but it looks gorgeous. The, the colors are, are rich and deep and right. You don't see any grain or anything. This is really a beautiful presentation. And it's, I mean, there's so many more episodes, but I'm sure this is one of their finest ones because it's just, it's really, really beautiful. So, um, so all right. Well, now we have the, the th- our third and last episode about as far away from Swamp Thing as you can get. Uh, <laughs> this is Sugar and Spike, which yes. everyone knows is, is, you know, personal favorite among me and me and Shaq. It's not, it's not just Sugar and Spike. It's a lot of the funny animals. There's Dizzy Dog, the Three Musketeers, Nutsy Squirrel, the Raccoon Twins, which characters I didn't even hear, I've never even heard of before now. So this was just an amalgamation of all these different characters. And this is definitely one of their more lo-fi ones because this is, in contrast, Shaq, to what you were talking about, how, how clean the Swamp Thing one, this one looks pretty, pretty, pretty dirty uh so i i feel like they probably just had colored pages to shoot from and that's why it probably doesn't look quite as sharp this one is definitely you can almost see like the hands of somebody shaking the page back and forth in front of the camera like little fingertips coming in like it's a terry gilliam on monty python on a holy grail or something that said i'm thrilled it exists because i think this was probably my introduction to sugar and spike was Mm. this show well, I love how it opens, too, with Sheldon Mayer drawing Sugar and Spike and coloring it in with chalk. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. I really enjoy it. And the voices that they got for Sugar and Spike are actually pretty good without being cloying or annoying. So I'm going to show my hand right now. Regardless of the production value of Swamp Thing and the Bernie Wrightson story, this one's actually my favorite. I just freaking love this one. It was funny, the funny animal stuff, the, the jokes were good. It was just, it made me happy when I watched this thing. I love it. Yeah, this this is a lot of fun, and 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 I like the uh, you know they I mean it's it, it kind of was like wait a minute this is the Sugar and Spike show so did that when they did these did it did it come was the opening different or, or yeah I don't know do I don't remember? know where that yeah I don't know why they have that it gets like its own little logo or something like that that's very confusing I gotta ask with the funny voices because you know it's funny animals it's funny kids and all this stuff there's a lots of goofy funny voices. Did anyone else hear Luke Dobbs' voice in a lot of this? Because <laughs> Luke does characters, you know, when he does sometimes. He's done bits, and they sound a lot like the voices he would do. And I'm, I, I kept hearing him throughout the whole episode. Mm, I, I thought Dizzy Dog sound. He kind of sounded like Jimmy Stewart. Dizzy he was did. like, oh, yeah, yeah, you go, my, my crazy grandpa uncle's gone, you know, he's gone crazy. And I just kept, you know, it's like this really extreme Jimmy Stewart impersonation for, I don't know where that came from, but it's like, I liked it. I actually liked the Dizzy Dog segment the best out of the non-Sugar and Spike ones. I, I, I thought that one was, it was, it was definitely zanier than the, than the rest of them. I'm so glad you did the Jimmy Stewart voice because that's in my notes, but there was no way I was going to try and attempt it. So thank you, Chris. That was wonderful. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so one of, Ryan. Things, one of the things they really did in this too though is for sound of effects because again it's kid stuff you know lots of bangs and boops and things fall down they shook the camera like hardcore mm-hmm. when stuff would happen and, I, and it felt like it was a really fun dramatic way to do it it's it's like when the enterprise got hit by a blast it was just the same kind of <laughs> ryan what did you think of this one so I have literally never heard of Sugar and Spike until you asked me to be on this show. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys have ever mentioned him, but mentioned them before. But no. Um, no, I remember when I when I looked at, at the three videos that you have on YouTube, I was like, "Oh, Hawkman, awesome! Swamp Thing, awesome!" I'm like, "Sugar and Spike." I was like, "Wait a minute, Swamp Thing's twenty minutes, Hawkman's nine minutes, Sugar and Spike is thirty minutes." I was like, "Oh man!" <laughs> but I started watching it. And I was like, "Ah, this is really kind of adorable." And it probably helps that now that I have a young child and I've been watching so many of little kids' cartoons with this that I am just – I am keyed into this type of humor and this type of adorable kids' 
programming and stuff like this. Like I, I want to show this video to Reese in a little bit, like not, not right away, but uh, somewhere down the line, I am going to watch this with him. I think he will get a kick out of it. You've already um, shown him swamping though, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I read the digest to him when you know, he, would, he was nursing, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I, no, I, 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 I really, no, I've, I, this was my first experience with her. I know who they are, but I, this was my first time really being exposed to their adventures and like some of these like crazy animal type of stories. Like with this, yeah, I just I, I I thought it was great. <laughs> like I I'm not sure if I'm co-signing what Shag said that this is better, but it might be more enjoyable than the Swamp Thing one. It's close. Whoa. <laughs> Things I, I loved in here, uh, like you mentioned the Dizzy Dog cartoon, Chris. In there, the grandpa, he, he wins a bunch of money at the end, and he's smoking his corncob pipe at the end, and yet there's a cigar stuck in the corncob pipe to, to show his, you know, his, his you know, Kentucky origins, I guess, Chris, with the corncob pipe, I don't know. But then with the cigar, supposed to show that he's rich, just cracked me up. That made me laugh so hard. And I, I also noticed, because again, I was reading the words, I noticed in the Sugar and Spike story, when one of them is supposed to say the word stupid, the narrator didn't say that word. They skipped it, actually. So mm. they actually uh, purposely skipped reading that word aloud, which I thought was interesting. Mm, and I, I really liked how the last Sugar and Spike story, they didn't read it aloud. They just left it on the screen for the for you, the reader, or the kid at home, to read themselves, which I thought was a really clever way to encourage kids to read. Yeah. I didn't even think about that either, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 I, exactly, I love that. I, I think this was my introduction to these characters and, uh, I just, I loved it and I love that they did these and Shogun Spike was, you know, massively, massively charming. The book ran for 98 issues for Pete's sakes. <laughs> so, uh, that's it. Those are the three episodes. I wish we had a few more, uh, to sample, but, uh, that this is what we have. I said, I'm going to keep working on Dana and, uh, if I have to go to her house and rummage through her her basement, I will, to find more God. of these shows. But uh, but but those are the three episodes, and you can go enjoy them over on our YouTube page. So go check them out and let us know what you thought of these episodes and leave a comment on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. So before we sign off, though, we are going to do feedback from the previous video comic show, which was just simply called Video Comics in that episode of FW Presents. So we're going to get started with the man that put all this together, Chuck Coletta. From the BGSU Pop Culture Conferences, he was the one that found Dana Cadison online and connected me up with her. So all of this is uh, sort of indirectly thanks to Chuck. So thanks, Chuck. So his comment is, congrats on the great interview. I'm so glad to have played a tiny part in making this episode a reality. I only have a hazy memory of the series, and it must have gone, gone off air not long after we got cable in Cleveland. I do recall seeing the Flash episode, but little beyond that. Although I'm sure I only got a small taste of the series, I never forgot it. I do hope Dana finds those videos. Thanks for shining the spotlight on this once forgotten piece of comics history. Thanks also for letting Dana know how special the show was to a generation of young comics readers. You could definitely hear her appreciation in her voice at the end. Bravo. Well, thank you, Chuck. Again, it was your, your diligent efforts online to find it, to find uh, Dana and put us together. So thank you so much. Um, we're going to move on to Pat Sampson from the Longbox Crusade. And he says, Rob, this was a great episode and interview. Just like you, I have a lot of childhood memories of watching the show. It had always stuck around in my memories because of how cool I thought it was to see a comic come to life through video and sounds. As a G.I. Joe Real American Hero comic fan, it was really interesting to hear that Larry Hama had a hand in this. Thanks to Dana, I now know a little more about Larry and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> I, I hope that the other videos are found. I remember the Green Lantern video a lot and wish it was somewhere to watch. Thanks again to Dana and you for doing this episode. It was a joy to listen to. Thank you, Pat. A uh, net administrator says that uh, this was a nice trip down memory lane. Like you, Rob, I had distinct memories of this series on Nickelodeon and recall several of the episodes. It was fascinating to hear the behind the scenes details on the early days of cable and its programming An awesome get, as they say in the buzz. Thank you, <laughs> net administrator. I also got a comment from Nicholas Prom from Comic Reflections. Nicholas says, as someone else who remembers video comics, uh, albeit dimly, and pines to someday see the rest of the series, I am beyond thrilled for you and with you that you got to conduct this interview. Cheers. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, David is Gutierrez says, uh, what a great episode, Rob. Sure, you invited yourself over to her home, but it did make things weird. 
passion <laughs> passion projects are the best. I said I'm not going to rest till I have a photo of myself like rummaging through Dana's basement and going oh. through all her DVDs. That's it's that's going to happen. Weirder by the minute, man. It is. It is. I probably shouldn't say that on air. That's probably right. Exactly. It's going to be against some, you in court. Sort of, yeah, in some sort of legal way. That's probably not a good idea. So, uh, so we got a comment from Chris Franklin, and luckily he's here to read it. So, Chris. Yes, local Rube Chris Franklin wrote in to say, wonderful <laughs> episode, Rob. I'm so glad this happened to you. Very informative on the nascent days of cable as well. This could be a Netflix series for sure. Mm-hmm. And all of this happened in Columbus, which is a city I visit often, so it seems more local to me, even if it's still three hours away. Yeah, I, this, again, the, because it was close, it's just like, oh, I was so close to this. It's like just being like down the road from Kenner, you know, in Cincinnati. <laughs> I'm like, all that stuff was going on, and I was like right, you know, an hour away. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Netflix. We actually, have, we actually have a lot of podcasting friends in Columbus nowadays. I wonder if any of them really remember it. Hmm, interesting. Um, we also got a comment from Siskoid. He's also from the Firewater Podcast Network. Shows such as Give Me That Star Trek, or Hot More, Not, and many more. Siskoid writes, great episode, not just about video comics, but about the beginnings of cable and the evolution of the internet. Well, he's right there, Rob. Absolutely. It was a fantastic study in that. Thank you, Siskoid. Uh, Roger says, what an incredible interview. So happy you got to talk to someone so important to you. Can't imagine saying that interview up. She must have been like, you want to talk about what? <laughs> LOL. <laughs> Luckily, you know, she was initially I, I, I wrote her an email. And if she had that reaction, she didn't let me know. She was Dana has been nothing but warm and generous about this whole thing. And very appreciative that someone remembered the show. So uh, but yeah, she probably initially she's probably like, what is this weirdo talking about? But I mean, I get that reaction a lot. Uh, up next, we have feedback from Ward Hill Terry, who is a guy who stalked us and uh, accosted us on the streets of Boston. Uh, Ward Hill writes, well, he wrote a fairly large, lengthy thing. There's just a couple bits of it. He wrote, this was a marvelous interview. Dana provided great insight into production and programming of what was essentially community access television writ large. I am grateful to learn that DC Comics and Steven Sodenheim Sodenheim, uh, are linked via Larry Hama. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I expect that the reason that the big three were unavailable had to do with the licensing rights. Warner's, uh, the Salkinds, and whatever corporate entities that control the Batman and Wonder Woman syndication shows very likely had language in their contracts that explicitly gave them the rights to video depictions of those characters. Hmm. Interesting uh, speculation there. Thank you, Ward Hill Terry. Uh, Brian Linton says, uh, that was an incredible interview and a great behind-the-scenes look at the early days of cable. I missed out on video comics because my parents didn't get cable until after I left for college. Ooh. Uh, but I found the discussion fascinating nonetheless, doubly so because I grew up in the Cincinnati area and we would frequently travel up to Columbus mm. to visit with family there. So I had no idea all this was going on back there uh, on there back then. I'm also pleased to learn I grew up so near the demographic heart of the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> then we heard from Michael Lane from Comics in the Golden Age. He says, that was such a great episode. I had never heard of video comics until Rob mentioned it in one of his shows. I started reading comics in late 1983, so it was gone by then, which is a shame because I would have loved it. But as fascinating as hearing about the show was, it was even more interesting hearing about the early evolution of cable. Well done. Then Sphinx Magoo writes in saying, wow, what a cool interview. Having lived in Pittsburgh for five or six years, it was cool to see our neighbors across the border had such strong connection to this show. Man, there's a lot of geographic connection with these people. It's it really is. It really is. Uh, Paul Wildenberger says, I had never heard of video comic. How many times have we said that so far? Until <laughs> Rob mentioned them on another one of his shows. We lived on the outskirts of town, so Cable came to our home about a year after the show finished its run. Be that as it may, I was captivated by this interview. Hearing an insider's perspective of the beginnings of Cable and putting on a show in those days was fascinating. In the mid-80s, I was on the high school AV squad. I was trying to cover the entire geek spectrum. <laughs> how Miss Caddison worked to produce the show reminds me of some of the things we did to put videos together. I also appreciate her memories of the voice talent. Having done a little radio and voiceover work, very little, it is nice to hear that it was valued. Larry Hama was involved? How cool is that? I've always liked Larry Hama as a comic book writer, not to mention his MASH connection. All in all, a very good interview. Thank you, Paul. You heard from my buddy Mark Baker Wright. He says, such a joy to listen to, and I appreciated the insight into the early days of cable. So glad you were able to track Miss Caddison down for the conversation. Thank you very much. And then finally, Andy Anderson says, thanks for the interview. As someone who was collecting shows from the early days of Nickelodeon, do you know if any more footage has been found yet? Thanks. Well, Andy, we can answer that. Is that yes, we have, again, these three segments up on our YouTube page. And like I said, I'm going to keep looking. Uh, There are good. There's there's more people out there that worked on the show and who knows what is available. So I am hoping that this uh, Video Comics 2 will not be the final statement on this show for this network, that we will get to do Video Comics 3, Video Comics 4, 
ad infinitum because I want to keep finding these episodes. So Rob's going to uh, keep digging means- until he finds Ultra the Multi-Alien. Multi-Alien. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I will not rest until I see that show again. So, I mean, I never – look – a couple of years ago, I never would have thought that any footage of these shows will ever show up. And now I've gotten all this. So anything is possible. So this was just so exciting. I'm so thrilled to, again, to talk to Dana. And she was just so wonderful to follow up with what, uh, you know, putting up with my nerdiness that she, you know, would not to block my emails, you know, <laughs> like, leave me alone. I was like, no, no, no. She actually, you know, did what, did what she said she was going to do. And I just appreciate it so much. And I, I feel so lucky that I get to call her my friend. That is just a really, really amazing. And so guys, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. I was, this is just such a, I mean, all of my shows are passion projects in one way or the other. Uh, but this one was especially so, so shag Ryan, Chris, thank you so much for watching these shows with me. Oh, no problem. Officer. Yeah, I just I just hope you can find Prince Ramon. I hope he's on video. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally never heard of podcasts until you asked me to be on this show. <laughs> I, I really admire Ryan's Andy Andy Kaufman esque commitment to this bit. I really you have to do it three times. So. You have to do it three times. So that's right. Then it's a runner at that point. So, all right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for listening again. Once again, check out these episodes on our brand new YouTube page. There'll be a link in the show notes, and please hit subscribe so we can get over a hundred subscribers and actually get an official handle and who knows we might even be putting more videos up there uh here and there you never know uh what what's gonna come out of the firewater podcast network so thanks everybody for listening again visit our patreon patreon.com slash fw podcasts and uh, again thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you later bye on the bayou mournful darkness gives way to desolate dawn, a solitary figure stands watching. Who is this misshapen creature, this muck-encrusted mockery of a man? Visions tumble through the dark corridors of his mind of Dr. Alec Holland, the man he once was, of his lovely wife, Dr. Linda Holland, partner in research, co-worker in constructing a biorestorative formula, a formula so secret, so significant, it could cause men to kill. Visions of the flaming explosion, fiery chemicals seeping through fragile flesh, driving the burning man-form into the soothing ooze of the swamp. He has become a hideous monster, reborn from the slimy bogs, hunted, haunted, doomed forever to be swamp thing.